Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. What a most curious time to be alive. I am I am so excited for this next chapter of our human story. We've had some really fantastic episodes on the show. And, you know, having done, having uh, been a podcast host for 12 years, I'm really seeing an evolution of material, not only on this show, but pretty much across the board um, as it relates to spiritual growth, spiritual understanding, spiritual philosophy. We, we really had to evolve ourselves. We had to, we had to change the narrative. I think we were treading water. <laughs> we, were, we were standing still. The, the old, um, perhaps, languaging, the old um, understanding of the salvation of humanity. What do I mean by salvation of humanity? Um, the end of suffering, the end of human trafficking, the, the end of war, the end of, I mean, when I use the word salvation, I use the idea that um, that humanity is is brought out of suffering, I guess. There's a narrative that's been playing out for a very long time. The notion that we're going to have a savior, and the savior by the I mean just the word savior is the one that saves. And you know if uh, man, if you do the math, um, Jesus. Now let me let me get clear right off the top. Boy, howdy! If if I could, as I intend to, if I could discover the Christ consciousness or the Christ persona or the Christ template within me, as Jesus said should happen, uh, everything I have done, you will do and more. So I should expect myself to be a healer and perform miracles and all manner of of examples that Jesus demonstrated. And he promised us all that we would all, we would all replicate that. And when Jesus is up on the cross, 2,000 years ago, and uh, he's he's Jesus. And again, I do not want to discount Jesus one iota. Jesus is, is an exceptional example of what is possible, as he had said. He wasn't close to saving the world when he was, when he was spending his last days on earth. He... Th- it's not like he almost saved the world. It's not like, um, damn, if I only had two more weeks, I would have pulled it off. 
while he was up on the cross, the the Roman war machine was expanding their plans of war across the surface of the earth. The suffering of humanity was in an expansive state. Jesus was nowhere close to, quote, saving the world, unquote. Now, there's the idea that Jesus is going to return, and maybe he went to the super savior school, and now he knows how to save humanity. Again, I don't want to discount Jesus. He was the master teacher. He, uh, He was the ambassador of unconditional love, perhaps. And and the reason I bring this up is, like I said in the beginning, I really see a theme changing here. For example, last week's show, we went to, metaphorically, we went to India and interviewed Harsha about the Ashtavakra Gita, which is a text that describes um, perhaps our own divinity. So last week we talked to Harsha in India, and um, that conversation was about discovering the I Am Presence, the Christ Consciousness, Source Consciousness, God Consciousness within us. And tonight's show, I'm, I, don't, I do not intend to put any words in, in our guest's mouth, Paul Selig. Uh, tonight's show is... Resurrection, a channeled text by Paul Selig. Um, we're going to bring him on. Now, This the interview tonight was recorded. Uh, Resurrection just came out, and this interview was, I believe, actually before the book was released. We've had Paul on the show four times before, and tonight we'll make the fifth time. Um, he works with the guides, and the guides are telling us how um, how reality is pliable. These are, I, again, I'm not putting any words in Paul's, uh, Paul can speak for himself, but from my perspective, the guides are really telling us that from the upper room, um, the pliability um, of our reality is is on the table. In other words, we have the ability to re recreate what has been created in the past. In other, um, the the idea that there's divinity in every one of us is is really coming front and center, not only with the many different guests we've had on this podcast, but really just if you Google spiritual podcasts, this kind of languaging is coming front and center where, where it's uh, out in the open. You know, it's, it's curious because there's the uh, Kama Sutras, the 25 yogas of the Eastern uh, religion or philosophy. And um, the rank and file uh, child growing up with the Eastern religions 
perhaps in their teens, comes to the realization, I'm the personification of, of God. And the parents are like, oh, that's so wonderful. That's, that's delightful. You, you've recognized your divinity. And uh, if you did that in the, in the past, declared yourself the personification of the divine, they'd take you to the town square and burn you at the stake. I mean, we've come a long way now. I think you're going to like tonight's uh, interview. Um, Paul and his channeled text, I find that his text is, uh, the, the books that he writes, he, he channels these books from, well, he'll describe it in the interview, um, from the guides, is really clean from my perspective, again, I don't, from my perspective, um, these books that Paul has written is, is very clean text. But the, you have to meet, if, if you've ever been an author, you have to meet people where they are, so to speak. And, and the books he has um, channeled um, does that very well. And so I'm, I'm del- I think we need to get to it. I'm delighted for tonight's episode. I'm delighted for you, the listener. What a, what a powerful time to be alive. Let's get to it. Paul is considered one of the foremost spiritual channels working today. In his, tenth, in his 10 breakthrough works of channel literature, including I Am the Word and the book we're talking about tonight, Resurrection, he has recorded an extraordinary program for personal and planetary evolution as humankind awakens to its own divine nature. That's what I'm talking about. Born in New York City, Paul received his master's degree from Yale. A spiritual experience in 1987 left him clairvoyant. His work has been widely featured in a variety of media, including ABC News Nightline, Fox News, The Biography Channel, and Guyam TV. Paul served on the faculty of NYU for 25 years and directed the graduate writing program at Goddard College. He now offers channeled workshops internationally. He lives in Maui, where he maintains a private practice as an intuitive and conducts frequent live stream seminars. Let's get to it. Here's the interview that was recorded before this book came out. Resurrection and Channel Text. Here we go. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks for having me. And, you know, I have to say congratulations because you're the the guest that's been on this show the most. Oh, wow. This is your fifth time on this show. Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> Over, it's been, I guess the show's been 12 years now, and we've just had hundreds and hundreds of episodes. So I'm delighted to have you back on the show. Glad to be here. Thank you. Now, you've got a new book out, Resurrection, Book One, 
the Manifestation Trilogy. How how does uh, how does the timing look for this trilogy? Obviously, I'm holding book one in my hand. Uh, are the other two in the queue? And do you have an idea of what kind of a timeline that'll be? Well, the second book of the trilogy is in progress. I mean, it's, I'm about 200 pages in. Oh, and we, it began about a month ago. So a month ago, the channeling sessions for this began, and I expect it'll be done by the end of the month. Um, so that'll be book two, and I expect book three will be next year sometime. That's the uh, that's the schedule they've mostly been coming through with. Um, Do you have titles for those books yet, or yet to be decided? No, I don't choose the title. The guides announce the title. So for the, the book that they're channeling now, yes, they call it the Book of Innocence. Um, I don't know what the third one will be. And I actually didn't know the title. I thought they were going to give me a different title for the book than they did, because they had been teaching some stuff under an umbrella head of presence and being, so I assumed that would be the title, but it wasn't. And I should know by now not to. (laughs) Well, now, if uh, our listeners are new to your material... um this is called a channel text. Who are you channeling? I work with a group of guides. I call them the guides only because my ex many years ago, when he found out that I did this, um, used to say, ask the guides this, ask the guides that. That's why they're called the guides. But um, So that was just convenience. But they're teachers. The energy that they come through with is quite palpable when they use a name. They use the name Melchizedek as a title. Um, they say, if you wish to call us something, you may call us this. Other times they say, we are who you become when you know who you are. And other times they've come through calling themselves the true self, which is another name for you know, the Christ or the Christ consciousness. Um, but I know them, you know, really. I'm clairaudient. There's one that I've seen visually in, you know, in, in meditation. Um, you know, who shows up predictably the same, you know, when I do see him, but that's not frequent. Um, but mostly my experience is, is hearing and feeling the energy of them, and this is how I know them the best. You mentioned Christ consciousness, and there's the notion used in these books often called the upper room. Is that pretty much the same consciousness? I suppose so. I didn't know that the upper room had a basis in, in scripture um, until after they began using it, and then somebody explained it to me. Um, so the guides speak about the upper room as the octave of resonance above the common field that we know ourselves in. They say we're existing in an octave of sound and tone with high and low notes and the octave above the one that we're used to operating through they they call the upper room or at least they that's how you enter it is through the upper room and their work they say is the work of transposition or letting us play our own intonation our own vibrational frequency in the higher tone and how they bring us there is in many ways the, the work of their texts. Yeah, I I find it curious. I mean, 
I've really talked to so many different types of, I guess I would call them modalities or um, um, methodologies of, of evolution or con, uh, evolving your consciousness. And uh, um, the guides really seem like the the written word and perhaps when you uh, appear in public it, it's kind of a, a, a language journey because as you read the book and and uh, interpret what they're telling you through the words, there is this kind of, uh, I'd, uh, I guess I'd call it a bigger picture that comes into your awareness, which that in and of itself could be seen as an expansion of consciousness. How have you experienced this over time? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's funny because my life is so different than it used to be and how I experience myself in most ways is is altered um, from what it was and what I was used to. And I'm enjoying the hell out of it, to be honest with you. It's really quite, quite remarkable. Um, you know, I've been showing up for this work in one form or another for probably 30 years now. Wow. And, um, I mean, I, I developed quietly and slowly, um, and it's only when the guides began lecturing through me fully, which was, I think, 2008, um, is when everything started to shift. The energy was there, and I was having little groups in my apartment, but they began lecturing and then began bringing books through once I became willing to transcribe, record and transcribe. When I look at that journey um, in terms of my own experience of myself and the world, everything's changed, everything. And, um, and I'm surprised by that sometimes, but I think I also live in, in the new normal now, and that's not to say that I don't have problems or I don't get worried um, because I do but I'm not living in sort of a the perpetual state of density I guess for lack of a better word that I really was quite comfortable in for most of my life and so I'm experiencing this work I don't know that I'm the best student of the work you know I'm the the radio through which the broadcast plays. And I always have to say, you know, I'm not the guides, I'm not a spiritual teacher, I'm not a guru, I don't really have any interest in being any of those things. But I am willing to continue showing up for this because I find it still fascinating and perplexing. Um, there are people that I know that are working with these texts um, in, in very diligent and profound ways and having a completely altered experience of, of being in a body, you know, in perception. And that's what the guides do teach. You know, I, I, I was telling somebody earlier today, you know, this really isn't, I don't think this stuff is self-help. I think it's mysticism is what they're really teaching or a system for for a level of, um, of, of, of unity consciousness, for lack of anything else to, to call it. I mean, they're teaching what expresses now beyond this idea of separation and how to align at that level to an experience of it. I mean, that's where the book that they're currently working through me is going, and it's, it's confounding and fascinating, both, because they're now saying that all of these things 
that we don't even know um, we're operating with or contributing to this idea of separation, which is basically the history of all of our choices and the memory of human choice and the ramifications of human choice and, you know, memory itself and the idea of identity. All of these things were so moored in separation that we almost can't help but replicate those ideas because it's what we expect because we've been so entrained by them. And so now they're teaching, and the claim that they've been teaching for the last couple of books, or one of the the claims, which is an energetic attunement, is the claim, behold, I make all things new. And they're using that as, you know, a way to to reclaim everything at the higher level of consciousness that they say these things are transposed by or renown in. Right. The the word that comes to my mind is uh, alchemy, in that you see everything uh, anew, um, and they've referred to paintings before, and the paint um, not being rigid in that it's, I mean, it's so easy for us to think of this physical world as a static, rigid kind of atomic um, template, and and the sense I get is is when what they're talking about when uh, they they say anew is um, literally shifting the experience and or the environment itself um, through our own um, uh, I guess I'd say perception and intent and uh, what getting ready for this interview over the last few days the, the the word resurrection kind of struck a chord in me in that it's like um it's almost similar to the phoenix metaphor but it's or perhaps the born again but if i were to use their words maybe i'd say born anew where you show up in this new experience of of life yeah that's what they're teaching you know i mean they say it it comes to a level where you're not even doing this through your intention it's become who you are you know one of the claims the guides used to teach they still teach it often i know who i am in truth i know what i am in truth i know how i serve in truth i am free i am free i am free which is an attunement and um, my old assistant once asked in a workshop, how long do we have to say this? And the guide said, well, until you know it, until you realize it, you know, you can invoke it. But there comes a time when it is who you are. And they say all of those claims are as notes played upon a piano. And when all the notes are played at once, you have a chord. And when the chord is struck, the shift has happened. The consciousness has changed. So... You know, they're saying that it is alchemy, that it's the, it's presence in being, finally, at, at a higher level of consciousness, which really alters uh, reality. And that's how everything is made new, because you're no longer at this level of awareness claiming everything through the lens of separation or in an agreement to to fear, which is how we operate, because that's all we've really known. Right. It's a very different way of being. 
Well, fear is such an institutionalized uh, perception. Yeah. The, uh, the you know, if if I were to bring a metaphor to the table, it's it's the the notion of Jesus, and um, it, what if Jesus had Twitter? <laughs> what if Jesus had a podcast? I mean, um, I think some of the uh, the challenges of the the teachings of Christ consciousness in that particular era there was there was no context. You couldn't say quantum. You couldn't say you know consciousness. Perhaps was a foreign word. And, and you always have to meet people more or less where they are. Yeah. And and this this book resurrection and. I would say the vast majority of the material from the guides, it really feels like it's a, um, I get this image of, of, I guess I go to Jesus because of my Christian upbringing, but this idea of legions of saviors, legions of alchemists, legions of mystics that are self-actuating perhaps through the, vehicle of the languaging and the vibration of the of these books and and the guides teachings if that makes sense makes perfect sense i mean they've said you know for everyone that awakens a thousand more awakened you know by extension you know by through their presence and being that this is how this happens you know i you know, I was raised pretty much an atheist, and um, I had one really odd year in a parochial school which had nothing to do with religion, except there was a nun teaching uh, for a little bit. And, um, you know, my own experience, uh, you know, I mean, outside of reading some new thought authors when I was in my my late 20s, which was very resonant for me, um, you know, I don't have that much of a basis in this stuff, although I get that the teaching does. And um, they say it's not a religious teaching, and they've said it's not a Christian teaching, but they do talk of Jesus as one who was realized or who realized the Christ principle. And they talk of the Christ as principle or monad. And they say the realization of the Christ, you know, is as manifest as the true teaching. And that's what they're they're bringing forth and they do say it's available and we've been told that it's not which was not true um, so they certainly reference it um, in their work um, when they first started delivering these books through me which is about 11 years ago now maybe 12 1998 I mean 2008 was when the first one was delivered or 2009 and then published in 2010, so it's not all that long. Um, I was thinking that they were speaking to the individual, and I think initially they were, but they've always said, you know, this isn't a selfish teaching. This is really about a collective awakening, and, um, and that's where they go. And, you know, I'm here in the chair taking the dictation, and, you know, as they continue, it gets the teaching becomes more and more and more inclusive and broad, you know, beyond the, the individual sense of well-being to the role of one as of the whole, 
you know, which is to be the light that shines on everything. You know, they say you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. They've said it a million times at this point through me, and I hear it. Who you put in darkness, what you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. But they also say, you know, the light doesn't decide on where it shines. It just is. And at that level of vibration, you're claiming all things in the light. And they say when you're claiming things in the light, the thing is altered and changed. I mean, they're just beginning a teaching, I think, if that's where they left off in, like, the last dictation for, for the, the current book. You know, they're talking about how matter is, is moved, and I'm curious about that because I've always kind of wondered where they were going to go with this idea. But they do say that how you hold anything in consciousness informs the material. Right. You can't not do that. Right. Well, we've had a lot of uh, quantum... Um, professors and experts on the show, and they talk about so so I'm propagating time right now, and I there's a pen on the desk, and I could pick it up or I could not pick it up, and the one that happens is decided by my consciousness, and that um, that that's what I like about the the pliability that uh, the guides bring to this, but. Just to touch a little bit before we leave the topic of the idea of Jesus' teachings and the guide's material, you know, the, the more people, the more people I interview is, I, you know, truth with a capital T, I'm not so sure Western linear languaging can even get close to knocking on the door, so to speak, and and that there's probably many um uh, pathways or languaging that um can awaken that um much more vast and dynamic aspect of ourselves uh, and i think the when the when the guide choose the reference to the upper room and whatnot it it gives us a kind of a three dimensional way to contextualize if you will, our relationship with uh, reality. So um, I, I find it interesting, um, the notion that there's a mass, a mass rising to that upper room where uh, masses of people are are activating, so to speak, this, this inner um, upper room or Christ consciousness awareness. And it... Um, I'd say in just the last maybe year, maybe even six months, there seems to be an acceleration to it. I think people are are getting drawn to it from either an, an inner knowingness that there's a bigger transition going on, or per, perhaps uh, the the resonance of the truth in whatever modality it shows up in is is the the bell tolling calling them to the to the opportunity i guess mm -hmm. no i hope so i don't you know i'm not i don't read other people's stuff you know i'm i'm, I'm i buy people's books i i don't have any i've read no quantum physics i i buy texts and I don't pick them up and I, I guess I mean maybe it's laziness but I, I my my reasoning has always been that I 
I kind of want to keep what's coming through me to stay clean. Right. You know, and not informed by pop culture, you know. And, uh, you know, people talk about 5D. My guides have never used that phrase, and I doubt they ever will. You right, know, yeah. Their language. And... Um, I've heard from the guides, you know, and they've said this, and I'm thrown by it, but it's in the newest book as well. I mean, they've said, you know, we're in a process now, and, you know, the guides in the very first book, which, you know, I am the word, said, you know, you are the first in a generation. You know, you're the first, or you're the first generation to to sort of be anchoring this thing in. And they've said in, in recent lectures, you know, this is a process that's going to take four generations to to really anchor fully, to be realized fully, you know. And and I go, well, that makes some sense to me, you know. But they've also said that those who are being born are far more ready to hold this. Right. Um, and I, that makes sense to me, too. But I don't keep an eye on, on the pulse, you know. I mostly, you know, I live in the rainforest in Maui, and I do my work. And that's my experience, and I'm not really keeping an eye on on the other pulse, I'm trusting that what the guides have been talking about in the last number of years is all accurate because it's all been kind of playing out, as they said, you know, and they've said, you know, and this was way back, they said humanity is at a time of reckoning and a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations and that everything that was created in fear needs to be reclaimed or reseen in a higher way which is the work they're doing now, you know, with the collective and with the creations that we've all been party to, you know, like it or not. You know, the guides say, if you can see it, if you can perceive it, you're in energetic accord to it and consequently contributing to it in one way or another. Right. So nobody gets off the hook, you know, nobody gets to be right at the cost of another being wrong in this teaching. And I mean, it's 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 enormously challenging, but I have to say, it's making more and more and more sense to me, sort of personally, as I go through this. Um, and so I'm pleased if people seem to be waking up. You might have a better sense than I. You know, I'm was well, surprised when young people started showing up at my workshops. You know, and a lot of them, you know, with their, you know, it's like these kids were showing up and they were reading the book and they were operating with a level of awareness uh, that I couldn't have held at that age. I mean, I started to open up when I was 25, but I got to say, it was like, you know, coming up from the pit of a volcano. <laughs> it wasn't graceful and easy. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say, or they say that it'll be four generations. It it makes me laugh. Um, I know I've referenced Christianity a lot, Christianity a lot, but I don't hang my head on that, and I don't live and die by that. But the <laughs> the metaphor of uh, Moses wandering in the desert for forty years because he refuses to look at a map. No, I'm kidding. Um, um, I I heard it. Uh, been said that the reason why they didn't um, land or settle for 40 years was to shed the the um, the imprinting or the the programming of the slave culture mm -hmm. 
and so the wandering was part of a cleansing process and then and then you uh, the guides say um four generations i can certainly see um it it taken a a, a multitude of generations generations cuz um fear or f- fear is one thing and and but the the lack of trust for 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 me it's like I have a big ass motorcycle and I ride it around and I don't wear a helmet and you can't believe the amount of crap I get for not wearing a helmet and I'm like yeah I trust myself because yeah. in traffic I'll get hits like don't do that do this don't do that I mean it's not like I'm alone on the bike but it's um in my opinion, in my perception, people don't even know what the word trust means. I mean, they say they trust stuff, but if you look at their life, it's so it's so compressed out of this, I guess, fear of what might happen, and and there's there's not really any kind of allegiance to trust. It's more like trust through structure, and that's not trust. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I agree. I, you know, I told I was in a car with somebody about a month ago, and they they asked, and they sort of knew my work, but they don't really hadn't read the books. And they said, well, "What do your guides say?" Because they were bemoaning the future, and I told them the same this thing about the four generations, and they both said the same thing you said about Moses and the desert, which surprised. I'd never heard it before, and and I went, "That's really interesting." You know, and given what the guides are now teaching which is really about the reclamation of memory. They say our memory is born in separation. Everything that we remember is operating with a filter, which is that we're separate from source because that's how we've been entrained. Right. That even that has to be moved. And it's not like they're erasing memory. They're just bringing truth to where the lie had been, you know. And that makes sense, too, in the context of that. See, I'm 60 years old, and I, I still—I just got my learner's permit a couple of months ago. So I'd be terrified for you without your helmet. But you know, I'm still not allowed to drive without you know a grown-up in the car. <laughs> After all these years, I'm an ex-New Yorker, so we didn't—we didn't have to have a driver's license to get around. Now I do. Right. Well, yeah, it's um, um, what I really like about um resurrection book one of the manifestation trilogy is is they talk about um the quote uh evils unquote of the world like war and murder and 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 all these um aspects of suffering of humanity and um so often people can can have such a galvanized view of things. I, I mean, nobody has to explain to anyone the of the horrid things that happen on this planet. We have human trafficking and child trafficking, whatever. But what I like about this book is it's it's um, it's teaching how to look at those elements of our culture from that upper room 
and it and it's not a posturing it's not a polarization it's it's i can i'm a co-union or something their words seem much better and and the the reason i say this in this moment is i think humanity's hungry for a way to try to um come to terms with some of the chaos that they've seen in the collective culture over the past couple of years what do you think well, I agree with you. You know, I mean, this is what they teach. It's not convenient. <laughs> None of this is convenient. I like, that. I like that. It's not no. convenient. No, but, I mean, you don't get to have it both ways. Right, you know? right. I mean, people want it that way. I would like it that way, but they say it. You know, who you put in darkness, what you put in darkness calls you to the darkness, which is a teaching of co-resonance, or what you damn damns you back. Right. It's really simple stuff. So the idea of lifting to a level of consciousness where you can comprehend that nothing can be outside the divine, they say that what's been in darkness can be reclaimed in a higher way. But you really don't do that by attacking it. Mm-hmm. You have to be done at the same level of consciousness. That's war. That's the nature of war, which hasn't served us. The guides have said, you know, you've had war for all all memory, you know, and consequently you're going to continue to have it because you expect it to be there unless humanity moves to a level of consciousness where war is not possible, and that's the upper room, and that's what they're teaching. You know, it's 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 actually kind of simple, but what I don't get is the the great satisfaction of being right, you know. <laughs> the guides say, you know, this is a, self-righteousness is always what they call the small self, which is just the personality structure. Sure. You know, and I get it, and I do it, and I pay for it. I have to say that's the difference is I know when I do it, and I know how I pay for it when I do it. Right. And um, I don't think that this is a teaching about being more polite. I don't think this is a teaching about looking the other way or bypassing or whitewashing. But I do think it's a teaching of truth. And I don't know that we can exclude things from the fabric of the divine. They say, you know, there's one note played in the universe, and it's it's an expression as all things and that we express in an octave with high and low notes, and the low notes are the difficult notes. But, you know, they say that any piece of music can be played in a higher octave, and that's what they're doing. They're lifting us to a level where we're no longer dependent upon the old, because we're no longer self-identifying as and through it. It's no longer who we are. You know, we've become who we are outside of the ideas that we fostered and been party to, which are all born in, you know, separation and fear and all of the stuff that you're talking about. You know, they say, you know, there's one, humanity really only has one problem, and everything else can fall under that title, which they call the denial of the divine. You know, you don't murder what you know to be holy. You don't hoard when you know the source of supply. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's simple. It's shockingly, shockingly simple. Well, it, um, some some terms like the Bhagavad Gita says, as it is. And the burning bush says, 
I am that I am. And and there's that. It uh, perhaps to the untrained eye, it seems like an indifference to what would be seen as suffering or or uh, things to that effect. But if if it's all an expression of of the divine potential, it's. Uh, I, I find it fascinating because in, in the book, it, I don't remember exactly the example, but it's like if there's a fire outside your house, go out and tend to the fire. <laughs> you yeah. know, if it's raining, close the window. I mean, there's there's still kind of an organic um, um, physical um, element to even the upper room. I mean, the upper room is a level of consciousness, you know, and I mean, I guess this is a teaching of being in the world, but not of it. I mean, they're saying your encounter with the world is altered, but they say, you know, if you have a job to go to, go to go to your job, you know, tend to the field, you know, eat, you know, bathe the body. There are things that we're required to do while we're in form. I don't think this is at all actually a teaching of escapism. I think it's almost the opposite. Right. Um, and, and we become a little bit more aware of our accountability through this. Well, it's, I mean, we've we've come into the physical and, the and you know, like a forest fire or rain coming in the window, that's part of the physicalness yeah. of living on this planet. So it's, uh, I can certainly... Re- uh, it, it's curious because uh, th- those basics that we just talk about, um, and yet to to show up anew, show up with that new perspective, I I, I think it. Even though they're telling us to still tend to the to the rain coming in the window and whatnot, um, when we when we live from that upper room. It seems like some pretty core elements of how we experience our life will change, probably from stepping out of the fear and the posture and seeing everything as perhaps a reflection of divinity. Well, that's what they say, you know. Um, The upper, I mean, the upper room. When the guides take students there in workshops, and they'll bring, they'll, you know, they'll take them through. There's attunements that will support aligning at that level, and you can feel it. You know, you can feel the energy shift. And people say, you know, or the guides will say to the group, you know, what 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 is there to be frightened of here? And nobody can think of anything because it just isn't there. You know, and it's if you want your fear, you can go back downstairs and choose it. You can have it. You can choose to learn through it some more if you want to. I mean, fear is a teacher. It's just not the best one, they say. But I I don't know. I mean, f- for me, the idea of the upper room is a level of awareness and consciousness that is all-inclusive. I, I don't think of it anymore. You know, when I, when I do the attunements with the students and I invoke it, I can feel the shift. I know when I'm not there. And that's, you know, much of the time. But, you know, with the guides, when they were dictating the newest book, they said, you know, you know, Paul, you're in it far more than you know. You know, you, you just don't want to think of yourself as there because you're still habituated to the old ways of thinking. 
and I think that there's real truth because as much as anything else, I think this is a teaching of re-identification of who we are, you know, in a very different way than we've been taught. It's moving away from the structure of personality as the great I am to the I am presence or the divine, which they say is who we are. In the book that they're doing now, which is, you know, the book of innocence, is all about the aspect of self that holds, and they talk about, it's the only time they've ever really talked about sin in all of their books, but they're really getting into it here. And what sin really is, is the denial of the divine, you know, outpictured in different ways. But they talk about the divine self or the monad or the Christ as being without that. You know, there's an aspect of all of us that is completely innocent. And the reclamation of all aspects of ourself in that is what reclaims all things. And it's, it's, it's quite something, I have to say. I mean, I'm in the process of of it now, but when they were dictating this before groups, it was it was a little bit mind-blowing what was happening, you know, experientially. So I'm curious. I guess that's all I need to say. It seems um, like there's an element of momentum, if you will. If we were to snap our fingers and go back to maybe the Roman Empire and and the the Roman war machine was making ever bigger plans of conquering. And what I'm getting at here is is it, the the human persona is just kind of anchored in these these uh, static experiences of fear, and that's why they say four generations to shake it. But but to to lose the momentum and become much more agile, much more fluent, uh, much more um, dynamic, per se, um, is, is, I think, what um, affords the, the alchemical effect, the transmutation of the yeah. painting, the transmutation of, of, quote, reality, unquote, to... And, and, we identify so much with our languaging and who am I and 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 we parrot out these repetitive statements of identity and and that's that's momentum in and of itself and it seems like um i guess the the teaching is suggesting a more uh vibrant and dynamic and agile and responsive experience moment to moment to moment. Yes, actually, that's exactly what they're teaching. You know, they're talking about the eternal now. You know, the divine is only known in the eternal now. And, you know, our experience of linearity is useful, you know, but it's not really what's happening. It's how we're superimposing structure on the eternal now. And um, that's why they say in their work that, you know, they can, they're not bound by time. Right. You know, and and in, in, in the instruction, and consequently, nor are we. You know, when they begin talking about the reclamation of memory, and, I, and this is the current book, I think it's about an 80-page chapter. I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is going on forever. But I kept, I kept contesting the teachings because I was so confounded by it. 
And they kept having to say, you know, you're not pretending something didn't happen. You're reclaiming your idea of what happened in a higher truth. Right. And that's a big difference. And, you know, they say, and it's another way that we limit the action of the divine, which is, you know, that terrible thing will always be that terrible thing and must always be for me to my prefer in order for me to know myself in relationship to it. And, you know, it's 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 challenging stuff. Right. Well, uh now I guess you're looking at having a retreat in Costa Rica, aren't you? I am. Yeah, I've got a retreat end of November, I think, very beginning of December in Costa Rica. And then I'm doing one on Maui in the spring. Nice. Just starting to travel more again. So late 2022 and early 2023, just to Uh, put a marker, an audio marker in the content. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, nice. Um, What kind of... Um, facilities are you looking I mean like an audience and uh, are these going to be big retreats or a few days or a week or the retreats I think they're both I think they're both like five day or week long retreats it's all up on my website which is just my name the one in Costa Rica is at the Blue Spirit Resort which is a beautiful place um, in Nosara on the beach um and, you know, we tend to fill the place up. I think that's probably usually around 100 or so people. And the one on Maui um, is at a, the Nepili Kai, Nepili Bay or Nepili Kai Resort, um, which has, you know, even more capacity. So that may be an even larger event. But I'm traveling still. I just did, you know, a weekend in in Berkeley, California for a couple hundred people and Maybe it was a hundred and two. I don't know, but anyway, I'm getting around again. You know, I'm traveling more than I was, although I'm so out of the way now. It's hard to get most places, so I'm I'm not rushing to the airport the way that I used to. Right. But the retreats are great, and the guides teach in depth in them. Um, I don't know what they'll be teaching by then, but I never know what they're going to teach until they start to do it. Right. Well, very nice. Well, I a lot of material crosses my desk, a lot of books, a lot of channelers, a lot of teachings. What the guides are are conveying to me seems very clean and sterile. And when I say clean and sterile, that's a that's a big compliment in that um there's so many um, people banging the drum as far as listen to me, listen to me, and um, clean and sterile is a way to recognize that they have no intention of taking you out of your element to t- um, to require anything of you to to hand you a dogma for you to insert into your psyche. Um, the the material that these books have contained are is clean and sterile in that you're free to decide every single step, every single moment, every single choice. And I also I always give that a, a high merit as far as 
um, material. So kudos to the guides and kudos to you to be the vehicle of bringing this into our collective right now. Thank you very much. That's kind of you to say. Well, a show can go by pretty fast. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? Nope, I don't really. Um, and I'm asking the guides, and I'm getting a head shake no from them too. So, I think I, I think I'm I'm all talked out, perhaps. <laughs> well, I, Paul, I appreciate having you back on the show. It's uh, it's always a delight. Thank you for being our guest tonight. Thank you very much for having me. It was enjoyable. What a what an interview! I hope you enjoyed that. Um, it it really looks like uh, our divinity is coming front and center. It's like I said, multiple. I mean, from many different directions. Um, there's um, people writing books and channeling texts and um, and. The story's the same. The divinity is within us. The Father and I are one now. The kingdom of heaven is within us now. In the interview, we we talked about uh, multiple generations for change and Moses having to walk through the desert for 40 years to shake the the imprinting of the slave mentality. If you were raised in a household that had a, a judgmental God that would be glad to send you to hell to burn forever, if if you did not um, follow some uh, slippery slope of, quote, righteousness, unquote, it, to reprogram your personality, to reprogram your belief systems to to move more into alignment with the upper room, the Christ consciousness, the divinity within you now, it takes some unraveling, if you will. The day you were born as a newborn baby, you didn't have an ego to speak of. You didn't have a symbol table. There there weren't any words that would offend you. You grew an ego. And if you look at your family of origin, look at the environment your ego was raised in. Because your ego is your thinking machine. Your ego is your belief system machine. And when we talk about multiple generations or 40 years wandering through the wilderness, to purge a sense of self, the idea of slavery, um, as an example, I wrote a book, Forgiven Sinner, God's Last Savior. It's not a religious book. It's not. <laughs> talk, <laughs> talk about a poor choice of titles. I thought I was being, quote, clever, and quote, forgiven sinner. Once you finally get around to forgiving yourself, God's last savior, you won't need a savior. You will find the divine within you. We, we take a look at um, some of the stigmas that have been anchored in um, traditional um, Western religions. And, and that narrative helps you 
um, reevaluate your relationship with God. Because if indeed you are the personification of God, do you feel do you feel the God persona in you? I mean, that's that's ultimately the evolution of your consciousness is to realize the divinity with you. And as Jesus said, get around to performing the miracles yourself, getting around to healing the sick yourself, et cetera, et cetera. My job, as if it's a job, is to have as clean of language as possible. Believe whatever you want. I know I, know I talk about things as, uh, as a perspective, but if you want to believe something, go and believe it. I, I don't want to tell you what to believe. You can make any choice you want. Your free agency is paramount. Your, your authenticity. Authenticity is a really cool thing. And a lot of people, I believe, I've talked to hundreds on the show, authenticity is, is not perhaps what you think it is. Had you asked me when I was 30, if I was an author or a spiritual writer or whatever, I'd say no. And in my ego mind, I'm being authentic. And then the cosmic two by four whacks me upside the head. And um, now I write books and I'm a, a spiritual whatever, pick a word, philosopher, whatever. And um, so, so as far as my authenticity is concerned, I would not have been able to recognize it when I was 30 years old. It's really important that you choose everything that you believe. That I would suck at a spiritual mentor or philosopher or whatever the hell if I, and and I talked to Paul about that, about towards the end there I said, your material is really sterile. And I, I as a spiritual um, persona, um, need to be sterile too in the sense that you believe whatever you want to believe. I can point a finger and say, huh, look at that, huh, look at that, huh. Jesus was up on the cross and the war machine was expanding. Do with that what you will. I'm just, I, I'm, um, I'm committed to be as clean with my language as I possibly can. Anywho, um, time flies when you're having fun. What an exciting time to be alive. <laughs> the understatement of the millennium. <laughs> what an exciting time to be alive. I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us tonight. What a... What a uh, um, pleasure it is for me to search out these episodes that that uh, that reflect who you are in a perhaps a broader light hopefully that you find that helpful I'm your host Les Jensen always a pleasure until next time thanks for listening this has been a new human living radio broadcast to bring your soul's inspiration into effect 
and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.